Well, welcome back. We are continuing in our study of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thomas Watson's book on that, by that name, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And the second part of the petition, of the sixth, uh, second part of the sixth petition, deliver us from evil, deliver us from evil. Uh, where we left off last time, we were in a section we're going to complete tonight. Uh, we went through the first eight things that we can do to help us not sin, right? So the prayer first is, lead us not into temptation. But if we are to face temptation, that God would protect us from sinning. Uh, deliver us from evil, the evil of sin. And what we started last time was, what means shall we use to be kept from acts of sin? What means can we use? Now, of course, we're asking Jesus in prayer, and that'll be the last thing we, we look at tonight. Prayer is a big one, okay? In fact, remember, this is a prayer. Please, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. We've got to make good use of prayer. That'll be the last thing. But there's a number of things, uh, and we looked at them last week. Uh, I'm not going to review them because I don't think I can do that in a, in a brief way. Uh, but, of course, you can always go back to our sermon audio page. They're all being uh, put up there. Where we're picking it up is number nine. So what we're going to do tonight is finish studying what means can we make use of not to sin, uh, to be part of. We're asking God to help us, but we need to be cooperating, working with the Holy Spirit, making use of the things that will help us not sin, okay? And uh, there are 13 of them. We've done one through eight. So tonight we're going to do nine through 13. We'll see how long it takes. I expect it to be shorter, but often when I say that, it's longer. <laughs> I think the last one was. I will say this. Um, I continue to read through the book, Our Ancient Foe, and I have some good stuff to share with you from that, but I forgot to take it with me. And uh, most of it I'm reserving for the later part of the final part of this book. But that'll help us, I think, even more likely to be brief tonight because I don't have any extra stuff to insert. But there's some really good stuff. Can't wait to share it with you. Uh, but it wouldn't fit here as well as it will later anyway. So that being said, uh, start your stopwatches. Let's, let's see if we can not go too long tonight. <laughs> okay. Uh, so number nine, again, what are things that we can do? What are things that we can make use of? As we ask God to help us not sin, what things can we make use of towards that end? And again, this will be a test for us. How much are we serious? And I think what we particularly want to think about, the sins that most beset us, whatever our pet sins are, remember we studied that before, our darling sins. Uh, Derek Thomas spoke of it as pet sins. Watson spoke of it as our darling. You know, Especially the things like that. What are we going to do when we're asking God to help us not do those things, we can be praying, help me with these kinds of things to prevent me from it, right? Okay. So number nine, be diligent in a calling. Be diligent in a calling. Some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, uh, there's a bit of an overlap. It's not unusual with anybody, but especially the Puritans. I, I never find it worth skipping, though. Uh, one, I like to be thorough. I don't like to skip stuff. I read all the footnotes in a book. <laughs> Because um, you get some nuggets, but uh, more than that, I think the repetition is really helpful, right? We need the repetition for these things. But be diligent in a calling, and of course, this will relate to not being idle. Idleness, right? Uh, idleness, uh, what was the quote, Mrs. Renner, you brought up a while ago? We, do you remember? I, idleness is the devil's playground. I don't know if that was the one. Uh, anyways, Sorry, you, you had a great quote, but it's in there. It's in the recordings pre previously. But idleness um, is, is a really serious way uh, that we can end up sinning, especially our pet sins. Uh, one, one second, Gabriel, let me continue a little bit, okay? Uh, I love to see my four-year-old wanting to comment and ask questions, but I want to make sure I cover a little ground. Um, be diligent in a calling. I, I'm going to share a few things I haven't highlighted, but it's a short section. Then I want to look at a few scriptures that I've thought would be good to look at. He said, Adam and paradise must till the ground, right? Uh, Adam was supposed to be working. Perhaps if Adam and Eve were more busy about what they had been assigned to do with their work, they wouldn't be having a conversation with Satan, right? Uh, now, what's really neat, when we get to Nehemiah, Lord willing, hopefully in a church and a worship service near you. <laughs> um, I, I'm slowly working on the commentaries. There's just so much intro and appendices I like to cover first to kind of know the, the lay of the land. Most of it you won't ever have to hear about, but um, Nehemiah, what's impressed me is, one of the things is, 
you know, guys are coming at him to try to distract him, and he says, no, I'm not going to meet with you. First of all, I think I know you're lying. I'm not going to worry about that letter you sent, you know, all these, I'm busy doing the Lord's work, and I got to complete it, you know, so there's an aspect of if we stay at work, and we don't let all these things Satan tries to send to us to distract us, if we're busy with the work we're supposed to do, you know, we're busy, and then we need to go to sleep, (laughs) You know what I mean? This isn't to say to overwork. Psalm 127 speaks to that. There's a place for rest and recreation, or you can have other problems. Uh, But being diligent in a calling. Having a job. You know, a lot of people that are kind of all over the place, they don't really have regular work. You know, get a job and stay at it. You know, there's scripture in the New Testament says, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, like that doesn't mean if you're incapable and you have issues, but people should be working. People should be doing things. Um, He says, uh, such as live idly expose themselves to sin. It's like just opening the door and keeping the room open, you know. Well, what else am I going to (laughs) do? Right? He says, uh, if we have no work to do, Satan will find us work. He says something very similar earlier, and again, I'm, a hor- I'm horrible at remembering quotes. But, yeah, if we're idle, he'll give us something to do. Yes, Mrs. Rainer? Yeah. You got it in your head? Can I give you the mic? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> idle, hand, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Ah, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yeah, so... Or playground. Or playground, whatever you choose. If you don't mind, hold on to the mic. You can just press it off. um, uh, But uh, that way I can pass it around if anyone else has something. Yeah, idle hands are the devil's workshop. If our hands aren't busy working, they'll be put to work by Satan. We'll be very in danger of that. All right, Gabriel, is it a real question? Okay, what is it? No, I didn't. <laughs> so, uh, he's listening well, but as a four-year-old, he kind of misses connections of things. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were given the job of work. By the way, work, work is a creation ordinance. Work is a good thing, right? But in sin, we don't want to work, and work is harder because of sin. That's part of the curse, right? Uh, it's going to be hard to work. It's sometimes when I prick myself working on the bougainvillea out here and the thorns and stuff, and, or at home, I'm like, or the, even the orange trees, you know, I'm like, man. All these thorns. I'm like, and I say to myself, yeah, what do you expect? That's the curse. <laughs> you know, like, why are you surprised? We are in a cursed world, <laughs> you know. But it makes it harder, right? You know. Um, so Adam and Eve, had they been working, maybe they would not have entertained a conversation with Satan. Because, it, Gabriel, what I, and you're asking a good question. I'm glad you gave me the chance to clarify. Maybe, hypothetically, we know God's providence in all these things. Confession of Faith, Chapter 5, Section 4, that we're studying Sunday nights, right? But uh, at the moment, but maybe had they, the the question is, why, why is Eve and Adam talking to Satan? That's the question. Why do they seem to have all this time to talk to Satan? Maybe they should have been doing their job. Maybe they were not doing the work as much as they could. Now that's a conjecture, but I think it's reasonable to consider. I think it's reasonable to consider. Okay. Um, A couple of things he says, and I want to look at a few scriptures relating to idleness. He sows most of his seed in fallow ground. Now, what's fallow ground? Ground that's not being turned up and worked, right? So we're told in the scriptures to tear up the fallow ground, that the seed of the word would get in there and grow. Satan sows his seeds in fallow ground. Like, he likes to work in ground that's not dug up. People who aren't working, leaving it dry and hard. Because the thing is, remember, the things of the world, when Jesus talks about where the seed doesn't grow... It's the things of the world, it's the temptations of Satan that chokes it up. But they don't need a lot of dirt for that, right? They can grow up fast. They don't need to go down deep. And he can do all kind, build all kinds of weeds and develop all kinds of problems quickly in fallow ground. He likes that, you know. By the way, I was just doing some weeding last week. Trying to dig weeds out of fallow ground is difficult. I always got to go around with my shovel. I'm there for a couple hours, you know. You know, they like to just pull them all up, but you, you can't pull them up easy. But if the ground is tilled, it's really easy to pull a weed out or anything, <laughs> you know. So fallow ground. He likes to work in fallow ground. That's kind of scary. But that, what that means is where people don't want to work, Satan likes to work there. Okay? Um, so the question is for you, where you don't want to labor and work, 
uh, and this is not necessarily saying a career or a certain kind of job, it's just being useful. It could be in the home and how you're helping and serving in the home. We're going to look at some scriptures related to that tonight. Uh, he says, a woman being much tempted to sin came to Reverend Mr. Greenham and asked him what she should do to resist temptation. He answered, be always employed. That when Satan comes, he may find thee busied in thy calling and not at leisure to listen to his temptation. Be busy. Be busy with, of course, the right things. Now, there are people who are workaholics and it becomes their idol. You know, there's lots of disclaimers that could be made. But, you know, there needs to be balance. Psalm 127 again. But but be working. He gives his beloved sleep, right? The laboring man has sweet sleep. That's another thing. You work hard. You're busy. You're not going to be likely to be up at night. You're going to be sleeping. You're tired. You know, like that's when a lot of stuff can happen. Okay, so I want to turn to a couple scriptures with the idea of be diligent. Be diligent in a calling. Be working hard in your calling. Embrace your calling. And beloved, for each of us, it's a different calling. But embrace it and be diligent about it. Take it seriously. Do all things, Colossians 3, as unto the Lord. Whatever it is. Okay? It doesn't have to be a paid position. Whatever the calling is, do it as unto the Lord. Okay? Uh, and that'll determine what you determine to do with your moments and your hours. Okay. Hebrews eleven six. Let me just turn to a couple of scriptures together. Hebrews 11, verse 6 again. Number 9, how to be... I feel like I should do a top 10 list. Drum roll. It's 13. But, uh, number 9, be diligent in your calling. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 6. But without faith, no, am I in the right place? Okay, okay. Without faith is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thank you, Mrs. Maxwell, for helping me not skip that. Oh, wait, I forgot it's at the end. God rewards those who are diligently seeking him. Now, that relates to the Lord's Day evening message, which was what? Grow in grace, right. And we looked at, well, there's a way to grow in grace, right? Sanctification, the things we apply ourselves to, seeking Jesus, especially in the word and prayer. So that the question could be, well, if you've got too much time on your hands, are we seeing you raise your hand with the memory verse in the catechism on Sunday night, Lord's Day evening? I mean, that's an option, right? It doesn't have to be that one. It's not to guilt anybody. We're all busy. We have different things going on. Um, but, you know, what are you giving yourself to? And those things will keep you busy so you're not prone to spend too much time on this or that, that are not necessarily even sinful in themselves, but are not profitable, right? And don't tend to lead towards being holy, but contend if it's given too much time to lead to being lazy and idle, and then, you know, other things come of that. Now, something came to mind, and this just came to mind as, I think, a practical illustration. This is certainly not to pick on the ladies, okay? I went to Titus 2. Titus 2 does have a sense of this, but I realized, no, I don't think that's what I'm looking for. So uh, I use the internet. It's funny, my Bible program I use is not as good as Bible works, and I have to search the internet a lot of times for what I'm looking for. The search engines are just not nearly as good on this. It's a great tool, but I have to use the internet a lot now. And thankfully, it's usually pretty quick. And this is what came up as I was looking for it. 1 Timothy 5, verses 13 to 16. If you turn there with me, please. 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Now, this is just taking something out of Paul's broader discussion that does speak to men, young men, not just women, all that kind of thing. But I think this is helpful, okay? And First uh, Timothy five thirteen to sixteen, on the topic of idleness, uh, you could start earlier. I'm going to start with thirteen. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, uh, and not only idle but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Who's the adversary? Satan, right. Don't give him any opportunity. By what? Idleness. There you go. Idleness is the, what did you say again, Mrs. Renner? Idleness is the workshop of, uh, devil's workshop, right? I mean, that's pretty much what just got said there, right? And then it goes on to uh, verses 15 to 16. 
for some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have, or excuse me, if, oh, I guess that was where I was going was verse, oh no, 16. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. And what he's saying is, he's kind of just, you know, should widows remarry? Some widows really need the help of the church, but let's be careful we don't have a lot of people that are draining the church that really should be working at least get married in the home. Like, you know, uh, and he's recognizing too many women are going house to house, busybody, gossiping, you know, just not doing or accomplishing anything productive. Or also that's keeping away Satan. I mean, notice he says some of them have even already been taken over by Satan. You know, if we don't have anything to do, we start to spend a whole bunch of time in the gossip. I mean, gossip magazines or, you know, this could happen through social media, right? You can spend your whole day, as I think plenty do, and frankly, of course, not just women. But uh, of course not, right? But, you know, if we don't have ourselves employed with busy things to give us focus, I don't have time for all that. Next thing you know, you're just way too much getting into things that are really gossip, uh, really all kinds of things that we really shouldn't be giving ourselves to. And then those can lead us to introduce us to things we probably shouldn't be looking at, you know, and just influence us. So it, it just occurred to me that Paul really talked a lot about idleness and the danger of it leading exactly what is said here, leading right to Satan. And of course, it doesn't have to be, but I think it is helpful to say, like, our culture today discourages our women from getting married, you know, until they're 30-something, you know. Which, by the way, at that point, it's a lot harder to have babies, <laughs> you know. And a lot of women regret it later. You know, there's a lot of women that are grieving on these social media. I should have done it when I could have, you know. Um, and, okay, you got all these opportunities. But, I mean, go figure. Men, go get jobs. Women, raise your home. Like, the value of homemaking, right? And, like, care about raising your home. When people visit, don't get me wrong, you know, we always say it's good to have visitors because that's the cleanest our house looks, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's a, it's a good excuse to get on top of things, right? But, you know, are you doing a good job, like, taking it seriously? Like, for instance, in Titus 2, I preached through Titus, one of the first things I preached to, through here years ago. And when I got to the part where it says being uh, good keepers at home, um, I pointed out the good keepers at home, not just home keepers. Like, you know, I mean, in the Greek, I think especially I made the case, it's like, are you good? Like, are you doing a good job? Because there's plenty of moms that might be homeschooling or homemakers and doing a horrible job taking care of the home. You know, how does the house look? How does the kids' clothes look? How does the yard look? You know, how, and that's not to, you know, look... It depends on a lot of things. You have a lot of kids. It's a lot harder <laughs> to keep things. I mean, right now, it's like we're chasing our two-year-old constantly <laughs> putting out fires and teaching him to clean. We had a good day today. But, you know, it's not to want to suggest that everything's going to be perfect. But the idea that a woman might want to be taking it seriously of a homekeeper and raising children and supporting her husband and raising a family, like, yeah. You don't have to wait till you're 35. Why would you wait? If you, I mean, everybody has a different situation. I'm thankful that Fernanda hadn't met the right guy until 35, because now she's mine. <laughs> you know, and we have four kids, and she is helping to keep the home and raising children. And you know, sometimes what can discourage her is what other people tend to say about that, um, and the looks that she gets. You know, but it's very important, and Paul's actually recommending it. I guess is what you want to see here. You know, we have our different roles. The point is what. Whatever your role is. So, okay, the keeper at the home, people will try to say, oh, you know, you got to earn money. A lot of women think if they don't earn money, there's this pressure that it's, it's like they don't have any value. Your work is very valuable. For instance, and I didn't really mean to go here so much, but uh, I feel compelled to say, if you're not doing it, then what happens? How do you assign a value to it? What you pay someone else to do it for you. <laughs> right? That's what a lot of people do. I got to work and I need to work and then I got to get daycare and I got to get somebody to come to the house to do the ironing. The you know, next thing you know, are you even making anything? <laughs> you know, but the point is there's a value to that because people get paid to do it. Right? A lot of people get paid to go into people's houses and clean them and take care of everything. Take care of the yard work, whatever. Uh, and, you know, similarly, of course, men recognize the value of honest, good, hard work. There's a lot of men who don't consistently work. 
you know, and they're driving their wives nuts, you know. Now, there are men who have different issues, but and I guess that's a good, seg- good setup for what's the next thing we're going to study when we finish this study. We won't record it because it's not exactly public domain, and it's, but we're going to, Mary Beakey's book about work, right, and the value of it. We're going to study that. Um, just look at the value of taking care of your homes, men, you know, providing for your family, being home for your family, and assisting with things, you know, and not thinking that you get to go out and play all the time. But your job, your, your place is in the home, too. Can I get an amen from the women? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't need to be out doing a whole bunch of stuff. You know, you had that chance when you, now you're married. Man up, <laughs> you know. I'm serious. I mean, you know, uh, and embrace it, raising children. Look at these children. You have the opportunity to father and grow. Embrace that and be busy about it and be exhausted and be too busy for Satan. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lot of single people waiting too long, I think, opening all kinds of doors to Satan, you know. Give yourself to family life, okay? All right. Well, I didn't mean to go on that little semi-sermon there, but uh, hopefully it was beneficial. But you notice what he's connecting there is this situation of not being busy with things that are important to God and then opening the door to Satan. He was mentioned twice in those few verses. Connected to what? Idleness. All right. Well, I thought I would have gone through that much more quickly. It's a short part, but we'll move on. (laughs) And uh, do remember, he's already dealt with idleness several times quite a bit. Okay. Uh, I think I will repeat this one part before we go on. If we have no work to do, Satan will find work for us. Okay. Number 10. Number 10. Okay. Sorry. Um, Watch too much late, late night talk shows growing up. Okay. Number 10, a means to help you avoid sinning and say no and turn away from sinning and say no to Satan. And I'm going to have us go to a lot of scriptures that come to mind for this. Fix the eye of your mind upon the beauty of holiness. Fix your eye of your mind upon the beauty of holiness. Holiness consists in conformity to God. Now, number eight, he had said, uh, pr- uh, get your hearts fired with love to God. One was his glorious beauty. The second was his amazing love. One moment. Okay. So I think it overlaps and relates to that. Uh, but fix your eye and your, your the eye of your mind on the beauty of holiness. I think what... You know, this relates a lot to conforming to, uh, to, to the ways of the holiness of God. But I think just more appreciating the beauty of holiness. See, the world and our old nature trains us to think wicked, evil things are beauty. And they're not. But he's really good at seducing us to think so. Beautiful things are holy I mean, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I know I've shared before, but R.C. Sproul points out the Bible underlines or highlights or bolds by use of repetition. And so the, the uh, attribute of God that is most emphasized in the Bible is his holiness. The whole book of Leviticus, right? Uh, and, of course, that is repeated in the book of Revelation. The beauty of his holiness uh, remember how lovely it is. Holiness is wonderful. It's beautiful. And I don't think we think about that enough because it's like, I don't want that sin. It's filthy, right? We were reminded sin is filthy. I, this, saying no to sin in this kind of a life is beautiful because it reflects God and it has special fellowship with God. It's, I, I'm not going to give that up for this, you know? Uh, I want to look at a number of scriptures related to that idea. Um, I'm going to go to First Chronicles 16. Uh, uh, it might be a little rapid fire. If you know, feel free to just sit back and and uh, and listen. First Chronicles 16, verse 29. If you want to jot them down, if you want to try to follow with me, that's fine. But I, I'll probably move a bit quicker because there's a lot of them, and I, I do want to finish this section. Uh, First Chronicles sixteen twenty nine. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. 
bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I do want to say that a lot of times when when we're sinning, when people sin, it's much more common they don't show up for worship. Because of the filth, or don't they? They get too comfortable with the filth, or and too distanced from holiness. But there's, there's often a direct connection. And beloved, it's the same thing in our lives with devotions, right? Our devotional life, family worship, often worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. You want to worry? You want to watch out for idleness? You can always spend more time in worship, in home, right? Private prayer, devotions, uh, and with with the modern tools of, you know, I always kind of tease and we're quick to make fun of the internet and smartphones, but I'm man, oh man, the resources available are incredible. If you just spend your time with Ligonier and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals alone, unbelievable, the resources we have. Um, it takes discipline. It takes discipline of mind. Right? You have to discipline yourselves, but as you diligently do this, we have the blessing. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. A lot of these are going to be almost the same words, but I want to do that, one, to see how often it is said in the scriptures that we take it seriously. And by basking in this repetition of verses, that it would motivate us even, even more to do so. Second uh, Chronicles 20, 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. But they should praise the beauty of holiness. You know, one of the lovely phrases that will come up, by the way, I guess I shouldn't tell you because maybe you won't come, just kidding, but we're going to have a very large section in Deuteronomy again, but we're going to complete the section on the first commandment. I'm actually pretty excited about it. And I I think I've been working a little earlier, thinking harder. And I I think I have a way to try to keep it not an hour and 20 minutes this time. I'm not making a promise. But but, um, one of the beautiful phrases in it that I won't give much attention to because I want to try to see the forest for the trees that I might end up coming back to just to preach on that and think about it with you is the Lord is your praise. The Lord is your praise. There's a couple ways to think about how to understand that. But... um, you know, the beauty of holiness, praise the Lord for his own beauty. The, we're going to praise him for the beauty of his holiness. Okay, uh, let's see, Psalms. We're going to go to the Psalms. Psalm 29, verse 2. And actually, I'm pretty sure this is the verse. If this isn't the verse, one of these verses is what I preached on uh, by special request for Elder Maxwell once. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Does that sound familiar? Did you ask me for that once? I think so, right? Okay. So, if you want to go hear a sermon on it, you can thank Mr. Maxwell for that. Psalm 29, verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, again, corporate worship is particularly in view here, but that, that needs to be the theme of our private time. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know, sometimes... Turn the radio from the talking heads. Because a lot of them are not giving you holy ideas, even if they might be conservative, quote unquote. Turn to the Christian radio. You know, when I'm driving, I enjoy listening to KPRZ, even some of the programs where, you know, we don't have agreement with a number of things. But I'm like, boy, he's doing a good job on this right now. This is good. And I'm glad I'm listening to this right now. Something about it being a local pastor helps. I don't know why. It just kind of feels alive and part of the bigger church. Turn to the Christian radio stations with music. You may not like them. That's okay. I, I like them. But, you know, but here's another thing. I, I remember, uh, uh, I think, a guest pastor years ago in New York where I was. Many years ago. I can say that. I'm almost 50 now. I know you still think I'm a baby, most of you. But many years ago in a galaxy far, far, in a state far, far away. I remember this pastor saying this once. I remember him saying, sometimes turn off your radio on the way to work. I know you got your praise music or this, that, but sometimes you just need silence. And you memorize a psalm. And I know you all have psalms memorized. I see it. Um, sing the psalm as you're driving. Pray. Get some time with the Lord in that, that window where you feel like you have no time, right? Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And trust you're going to have that encounter with God's beautiful holiness. Uh, as you make use of those things, okay? Even little moments. Okay, Psalm 96, verse 9. 
Psalm 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. I know it's essentially the same things, but I'm just hoping that will have an effect on us. We see how often the Bible says to do this. Worship the Lord, encounter the beauty of his holiness. Again, what is a way to keep our mind off of sin? Is to put our, the eye of our mind upon the beauty of holiness. What is the beauty of holiness? It's God himself. But recognizing he's holy and recognizing the beauty of holiness. And reminding ourselves it's beautiful. Why why would I go down into a dirty, filthy festpool, cesspool of something when I can go up on the mountains and look over the sunset or go to the ocean and look over the sunset and behold that beauty? Why, why, why wouldn't I just want to spend my time gazing, thinking on the beauty of God's holiness in my mind's eye? And all these scriptures are encouraging that. Now I want to go to Psalm 110. Now you'll remember Psalm 110 uh, the Psalms are the most quoted thing of the Old Testament and the New to prove Christ is the Messiah because they're all about him, as he says in Luke. People like to say, why do you sing Psalms? I want to sing songs that are about Jesus. Well, he said the Psalms are about him. <laughs> Psalm 110, as you'll know, verse 4, is the most quoted Old Testament in the New Testament of all of them. R.C. Sproul says that thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Pointing back to Genesis 14, looking ahead to that being quoted like crazy in the letter to the Hebrews. Okay, So he is, this is speaking of Jesus, this is particularly a messianic psalm. Verse 1, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jesus brings that up and I believe it's the gospel of Mark. Who's he speaking to? David can't be speaking about himself. Who's the Lord speaking to the Lord? Obviously it's the Father speaking to him, the Son. He's making the point, it's about me. And the common people heard him gladly. Go figure. Typology can be exciting for the common Christian. You know. Okay, um, but uh, let me turn down to verse 3. Right before verse 4, clearly about Christ. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. And beloved, that, that's in the, I mean, the people shall be willing. Yeah, show up for worship for sure. Wanting to bask in the beauty of God's holiness. This is the result of the coming of the Messiah. The priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord said unto my Lord, this is, this psalm is the most powerful one quoted in the New Testament. The most. And the beauty of holiness. We are willing. We want to be in the beauty of holiness. Christ's holiness. Remember, he's without blemish. He's without sin. Holiness is without sin. To be without sin is to be beautiful, pristine. When we buy something new, we like to make sure there's nothing wrong with it. Right? Pay time with Jesus. Yes, Isaac, is it a quick one or should I send you the mic? Huh? Quick. Okay, go ahead. Ah, you always ask these really good questions that take time. After the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek, uh, we'll come back to it, we'll talk privately, but he is a uh, mysterious figure that comes up after Abraham defeats a lot of people to save his cousin Lot. Uh, they want to make an offering, they want to give him a lot of money. He says, no, I'm not taking anything because I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich, God made me rich which is impressive alone, right? But then there's this Melchizedek. He's called the king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. He's mysterious. And Abraham offers him a tithe. But that's a worship to God, right? And he serves him communion. And, the, and then we have him mentioned in Psalm 110 after the order of Melchizedek. And then here's really the answer for you. The letter of Hebrews tells you very many times. Jesus is not the tribe of the Levites. He's a priest, not after the order. That is, the, in the Old Testament, the priests had to be Levites. God said the priests have to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah because they were a type of what he is the reality of. So he doesn't have to be from Levi. In fact, it's better that he's not. The tribe of Levi, the priests of the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament are a prefiguration of the reality of Jesus Christ, who when he sacrifices himself as the true Lamb of God, goes back into heaven and applies his blood once and for all in the true Holy of Holies with an unceasing ministry. It never ends. He doesn't have to keep sacrificing animals every year. He doesn't have to make offerings for himself. That's a lot of, of Hebrews reflecting on Leviticus, but making the connection. 
okay, you and I are going to go there tonight. It's okay that you're confused. He's a mysterious creature, and in seminary, and many pa- pa- mysterious person. In seminary, a lot of people are arguing about uh, whether it's Christ pre-incarnate or it's a different... I mean, there's a lot of debate about it. But the, but the point of it is he's a type of Christ. And uh, the reason it's being highlighted in this messianic psalm about Jesus, he's not from the tribe of Levi. He's a priest not in the order of all of the Levites, but he's a priest, and yet he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Of course, it was before these things, but that's setting up Christ so that we recognize his priesthood is a superior priesthood than that of the Levites. It's a great question. This is why I tell you, I want you to think about seminary and the pastorate, okay? But because you're 10, I'm going to need more time with you later, okay? (laughs) It's a great question. But the point of it is here, the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the effect is the beauties of holiness, right? We're in, we, he makes us willing in the day of his power in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. We love the beauty of holiness that Christ brings because he makes us holy, right? We who are sinful and need to be cleansed, his blood makes us clean and holy. The beauty of being made holy by Jesus and then wanting to bask in his holiness and not take our robes of righteousness cleansed by the blood of the lamb and muddy them in sin anymore. It's not beautiful. Sin, the thing is, as much as it's seductive, later it's never beautiful to us, right? I know everybody will say amen to that. It's never beautiful. You always see it for what it is, filthy. That's what the scripture says it is, okay? So the beauty of holiness. I do want to move on to Revelation, if you'll turn with me. We have two scriptures in Revelation. Just to emphasize this, uh, I, I am spending more time on each of these than I expected, but hopefully it's beneficial to us. Revelation 4, verse 8. So, of course, this is the end of the story, right? Revelation. And notice again, they cry out in Revelation, holy, holy, holy. Um, And that's what I want to see, first of all. Revelation 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, this is particularly in the, in, the, in the viewing of being around the throne of God. Being around the throne of God. And they are basking in his holiness. They are responding to his thrice stated holiness. And they're in the picture of, they're in heaven and the idea of where we'll be one day. Here's what's glorious about heaven, beloved. The beauty of holiness. You want to be encouraged to think about heaven? Which is where we're going to go with the topology of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 through Deuteronomy 11 verse 32. Pray for me, I'm slowly working the Hebrew right now. <laughs> but it's, you know, do you want the blessing? Do you want to be blessed and stay in the promised land? Of course, it's only through Christ, but it's beautiful. It's much better than Egypt. Even just agriculturally, like all these things, but it's beautiful. But in heaven, we'll be in God's presence. We'll be across the table from Christ at the great supper of the Lamb. There'll be no sin Sin is filthy, right? Therefore, there'll be no death, there'll be no tears. The result of sin, the punishment is sin. The beauty of it all, the pristine beauty. I love, I loved going, and I hope to go again, when uh, my family uh, at the time went to, there's more of us now, (laughs) when we went to, where'd we go? Well, Shaver Lake, the water was gorgeous, but where's the place? Yosemite, sorry. <laughs> and it almost feels like a Garden of Eden, walking around and deers are coming up and giving you a handshake and seeing if they can get anything for you. Just kidding, it's not. But it's like, there's just everywhere, and they're like, hey, how's it going, man? They don't even care that you're there. Coyotes, you know, everything's there. It's a beautiful valley, unbelievable, unbelievable. The rock formations, El Capitan and uh, Half Dome, which surprisingly resembles me in my head. But, you know, beautiful. But uh, you're all laughing. I don't understand. No, okay, so here's the thing. I think to myself, though, we're walking through and there's garbage here, you know. And, uh, or like Abraham or Isaac and Gabriel often lament that, oh, we're driving and we see this garbage that's been strewn on the side of the highway. And it's like, I mean, think about how beautiful heaven, the new heavens and earth will be. No garbage pristine beauty. No effects of the fall. Romans 8, the creation is crying out for redemption as well because it's affected by it, right? Christ will redeem the cosmos. It will be like the Garden of Eden, but way more because Christ has a preeminence in all things, right? Colossians 1.18. So, so just think of the beauty, 
the beauty of creation that you'll enjoy. The holiness, being in God's holiness. You're kicked away from that. You can't be in his holiness because of sin. They got kicked out of the garden. Revelation is showing us we get back in all the imagery of the garden, right? Eat of the tree of life, walk in the river of life, all these things. Um, the beauty of God's holiness, they're singing about it. Holy, holy, holy. But do you notice what they don't say, beloved? They don't say what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. They're reflecting Isaiah 6, verse 2. There he says, holy, he sees the angels, holy, holy, holy. But how does he respond? Yeah, woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean, unclean lips among a people of uncleanness. It's a little bit rough there, but right? He's aware of his unholiness and his inability, to, the fear of being in the beautiful holiness of God, right? I mean, Peter, when he says, uh, Jesus, cast out the nets again, get all this fish. He realizes the power, the holiness of Jesus, the command over the universe. What does he say to Jesus? Get away from me. Why does he say, get away from me? What does he say? I am a, I'm unholy man. I'm sinful, unholy man. Do you see them saying that in heaven? Because you won't have any sin on you. Perfectly holy and beautiful. We can't even imagine how good that's going to be. But just look around the world and read just the news a few seconds. And understand how glorious and beautiful holiness is. And how disgusting sin is and all its filth in this world. You know, I saw an article. Have you heard about the prisoner that escaped in Pennsylvania? Amazing. Climbed up like a crab. Got his feet in one. By the way, he's from Brazil, it turns out. They were having a... That's no comment on Brazil. Although Fernanda had some comments about that. Like, no surprise. Just kind of... Um, they even had his mother in Portuguese with big speakers trying to call on him. to come. He was gone for about a week. They found him. They got him back. And he did horrible things while he was out there. But do you know why he was in prison? Killed his wife in front of his kids. You know, it's not just Brazilians. There's a man in Ohio, you probably saw this year. He literally lined up his three children, young children, and literally executed them like a firing squad in front of his wife. You see the police will come up later and get him. The one child ran away into the fields. Yeah, nice rural area. It ain't just the city, folks. It's everywhere. Filth everywhere in this universe. Every piece of this ground is affected. He ran after his son, hiding, brought him back, and executed him. I don't even know why. I've never heard what was he thinking. Do you want to get out of this world? Do we not need a pristine, holy, beautiful world? The beauty of his holiness. We should be longing for this. And not involve ourselves in its filth. Right? Okay. Getting a lot of mini-sermons. I wasn't expecting to do that. I guess I'm feeling compelled and inspired. Would you turn with me to Revelation 22, verse 1? And he showed me, Revelation 22, verse 1, so this is the end. And he showed me a pure river, you see that pure, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. A few things I want to draw to your attention here. Notice pure, a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, clear as crystal. Yes, Abraham. Yeah, Shaver Lake, and I'm thinking also, oh, Mirror Lake, yeah. It was unbelievable, and of course, Dad stupidly tried to lead us with our little dog across the log and fell in the water, had to go back. And, but the water was so pristine, right, in Yosemite area, Mirror Lake. Hold on, Isaac. And the water, because it's coming from the granite and the mountains up there, the water is unbelievable. You can drink it. It's so clear. You can't believe. You look down, you see right through it. But, do you, Isaac, real quick. Yeah, we saw a fish. We saw, I think it was a trout. It was amazing. You could see it like nothing, right? The water was so clean. Let me ask you something. Do you want to go with me and get some water when we go back through Sweetwater tonight from that little pond that we catch catfish in sometimes? You want to go get some water and drink that with me? Why? Because it's filthy, right? You want to go with me and drink water uh, when they have signs up, don't go swimming over at Imperial Beach with me? Want to get some of that water and take a nice sip? You want pristine water. Holy, it's a reason we buy bottled water, right? You know, there's a reason we, a lot of us have filters in our house. Holy, clean, pristine. And I want to also point out to you, um, boy, I wish I could remember his name. It's one of the Revelation studies. It's about this thick. And I only had it towards the end of our study Wednesday nights years ago. I hope to get through it someday. I don't know that I will. But it was worth it just to get this little thing. 
Oh, what's his name? He's a professor at Westminster Seminary, Philadelphia. He was out here years ago for an ETS thing. The name's going to come later. He's a pretty important New Testament scholar who escapes my name, my thinking. But this, in his commentary, this is so profound. Do you see the, one of the persons of the Trinity here besides uh, God? Do you see the Trinity here? Where's the Holy Spirit? The river. Very good, Mrs. Ma- Miss, almost calling Mrs. Maxwell. Sorry, Mrs. Renner, I got to get some coffee. That's my, always my excuse. Right? Um, <laughs> maybe I need new glasses, though. No, that's good. Mrs., you know, the problem is my brain can't keep up. <laughs> you know? The Rolodex is spinning. <laughs> but it's kind of like in Toy Story, uh, you know, when, they, when the pig's go- gone, they're trying to get to the right TV station and he misses it. Stop, stop, go back. No, 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 got to go around the horn. So like, I got to go around to get back. Okay, Mrs. Renner, thank you. The pure river of water of life. That was Gregory Beale. I think that's the name. I think that's the name. I think. Uh, the Holy Spirit. But notice the pure water. The Holy Spirit. And of course, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bubble up water of life out of us, right? So notice this. If you're going to be with God who is holy, the thrice holy God, look at that. It's talking about, he showed me the pure river of life. This is, like, we should be getting thirsty right now. I can't wait to drink from that. You know what I mean? Like, when we're hot and thirsty and we're dirty, it's nothing better than just pouring a bottle of cold, clean water over your head or jumping into a beautiful, pristine river, right? And uh, this is the beauty of holiness. And I hope we've belabored it a bit to just really drive that into us because that's an important way to not sin. To not give in to the filth of sin as Satan covers it up so much. I don't want that. I want the beauty of God's holiness. I'm not going to settle for anything less and I don't have to. I have the Holy Spirit in me. All right? And remember, the besetting sins and the, your pet sins and your darling sins, you know they're filthy later. You know you never experience beauty in that. And remind yourself that I want the beauty of God's holiness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bask on that and I'm going to go sing about it in all those psalms. Okay? All right. Number 11. Uh, and I have less scripture notes and less highlights, so bear with me here. I think we can finish soon. Uh, you don't want to sin. Here's another means of not sinning. Meditate frequently on... Anybody guess? What should you meditate frequently about? That's a good answer. That's come up already. Oh, we just talked about that. The beauty of holiness. Isaac? That's the last thing tonight. Starts with a... Huh? Yeah, that's come up. I'm kind of wanting to prime the pups so it really hits you. Starts with a D. No. Death. Spend time thinking about death. I remember, and I've said it many times, when we had to do evangelism and apologetics assignments for seminary classes, we would go to the... There's big universities all around us. Carnegie Mellon, University of Pittsburgh, gorgeous places if you ever get to see them. The the Cathedral of Learning is amazing right there. Um, Anyhow, uh, it was interesting to me when one of the diagnostic questions you ask... What's going to happen when you die? What do you think will happen when you die? It's a good question to ask people. It's what it's really all leading to, isn't it? Do you know what their common answer was, most of these college students? I don't want to think about it. I don't like to think about it. And that's pretty much true for most of them. We don't really want to think about it. We want to avoid it as long as possible. Hey, we're supposed to preserve our own life and the life of others, right? Uh, But... You know, there's a day appointed for us to die. Gabriel's been asking about that recently related to some of the Sabbath classes. Dad, when will we die? When will I die? I said, we don't know. But what we do know is Hebrews 9, is it 27 or 28? Mrs. 27, thank you. Mrs. Um, Miss Friary quotes it all the time. And she doesn't like it if a funeral doesn't quote it, by the way. I've been with her. Um, uh, I always try to remember that. <laughs> there's a day appointed for each one of us to die. It's pointed. You can't get away from it. I mean, whatever you do to preserve your life and God uses means, at the end of the day, that was going to happen because it's part of God's plan. There is an exact day and moment where you will take your, de- your last breath and it's already been planned by God. It's not going to change. And after that, the judgment, it says, right? So think about that. It could happen at any moment. Some of us are surprised, you know. Some have long life, some don't. And even if we do, what is Psalm 90? I think it's Psalm 90, right? Maybe we get 70 years in, maybe 80. Uh, that's good if you get it. Wow. 
<laughs> what, what do we see in Genesis? The years keep going down, right? Methuselah ain't happening anymore, folks, right? You know, and even if it did, in light of eternity, it's nothing, right? Think about the fact that you're going to die, and you could die before you get home tonight. Are you ready to meet the Lord? And if this is the, di- the day that you're dying, if this is the moment you're about to die, is that how you want to enter eternity? think especially related to presumptuous sins is that how you want the angels to find you bringing you into heaven we're not going to say that this is necessarily keeping you from going into heaven is that what you want to be your last moment now of course we all sin we're never not going to sin uh you know we don't want to make it we're frightening where we can't move right move forward grow in grace but dwell on death he says we are not so sure to lie down this night in bed as to lie down in the grave how do you know? You don't know. Nobody knows. You hear stories of people just don't wake up. Young people. It just it happens. Are you ready? And if that's what could happen, how do you want to end your night? How do you want to start your morning? How do you want to have that last conversation with that person? Or I wish I would have called to say I'm sorry. Or I forgive you. We think we always have all this time. We don't have all this time. We might not have another moment. As you get older, you have more reminders of that, right? But don't think because you're young, it couldn't, you know, you see all these St. Jude commercials on YouTube asking for support for all these poor young children who are going through a whole bunch of horrible things, and some of them die young. So, I'm going to turn to Luke 12 uh, for something Jesus says, Luke 12, related to that. And I will move on with one more quote. We'll, We'll pass through this one. But that's heavy enough, right? Luke 12, 16 to 23. And he spake a parable uh, unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and goods and my goods. And I will say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. He's saying, you're going to die tonight. Then whose shall these, those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He goes on to say in verses 22 to 23, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat. The body is more than raiment. And, uh, you know, he's talking about things in a greater context, but I think it's an appropriate scripture to think to is, You fool, you're wasting your time with all this stuff. Tonight you're going to die. And as is often said, you never see a, uh, a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the cemetery. Right? That's why the Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, you know, it's vanity of life. You don't know. You do all this hard work and you don't know if your children are going to take proper care of it. You don't know if the next generation of the church is going to do the right thing with it. You know? Um, be, don't, but the main thing is, is how quick life passes and how quick your life is going to be gone. And how are you using each moment? And especially you want to think about presumptuous sins. I don't want this to be my last moment on earth. I don't want this to be the way I face Jesus. You know, now it'll be grace in his blood. It'll wash us clean. But, you know, I don't want this to be the last legacy I leave. And whatever that might be, what if people find me like that? And there's no hiding and disguising what was happening when I died, which could have been why I died at that moment. Right? Think about death. He says this No stronger antidote against sin than the thought I am now sinning and tomorrow may be dying. That's the other thing. If you're dying, you think you're going to spend time with that stuff? You're going to want to do as much as you can the beauty of holiness, a bucket list of I want to see the ocean one more time. You know, you're not going to be saying I want to go do that sin one more time. And if you are, shame on you poor, pathetic you, and because of some things we saw in 1 Corinthians 6, you might not be going to heaven when you die. But generally, the Christian, I don't think, is gonna, they're going to say, I want to give myself to holy things. I don't want to be doing this, and tomorrow I'm going to die. And that's how I spent my last day, right? 
All right, number 12. You want to protect yourself from giving in to sin? Beware of a covetous heart. What's the last of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not covet. That's a heart issue, right? I don't, don't be wanting what everybody else has all the time. Uh, turn with me, Colossians 3, verse 5. And this one we will go through quickly. The last one we'll give a little more time to. Colossians, uh, right after Philippians. Colossians 3, verse 5. Um, you know, I, I want to start with verse 1 because it's, it relates to what we studied, studied earlier. Let the, heart, the eye of your mind be set on the beauty of holiness, okay? Uh, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are our dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Always having to have the next thing. Always having to have more things. Always want to try to keep up with the Joneses. Right? Oh, it can't be content. But what, is, what are we told elsewhere? Paul says, you got clothes, you got food, be content. Hebrews 13.5, be content. For he has said, I'll never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. You have Christ. Be content. The opposite of contentment is covetousness. You don't want to live a life uncontent. Right? It could kill you also. Ask Haman, right? Okay. Uh, number 13, and this is the last one tonight, of, of the 13 things he gives of ways of keeping yourself from sinning. Be much in prayer to God. And we know this, and I think we can forget it. I think we want to remember, what's the context of this whole study? The Lord's Prayer. The sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which says... And it's the last thing, just like, remember, the last part of the prayer of Jabez. Don't let me sin. Protect me from temptation. And as he says in Jabez's prayer, that I wouldn't grieve myself, right? But the last petition in the Lord's prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's the part of the Lord's prayer. Indeed, pray the Lord's prayer regularly as a model, but pray it. So it reminds you to say that, because I don't think we do. Please help me not sin, Lord. Uh, be much in prayer to God. Matthew 26, 41. Uh, I'll just give it to you. You know, we had a sermon on it recently. Watch and what? Pray that ye not enter into temptation. Right? Lead me not into temptation. Well, make sure you don't enter into temptation by praying. Watching And prayer is inherently watchful. Especially watchful of our own heart and our own doings before the Lord, recognizing more intimately and directly that the Lord's eyes are always watching us, right? First uh, Peter 4, 7, and again, there was a sermon on Matthew 26, 41 recently that developed out of this study uh, and the accompanying book I've been bringing to the, our ancient foe. So if you want to hear that again, to not enter temptation or to not sin, pray, something along those lines, pray. First uh, Peter 4, 7, and again, thanks for bearing with me. This is, uh, this is the last of the things we're looking at tonight. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch untrue prayer. Now, it's the next chapter where he says, Satan is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. How do we protect ourselves? Prayer. Prayer. Okay, uh, Matthew six thirteen. We don't have to turn there. Let's say it together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray. And of course, beloved, the content of your prayer includes supplication, right? ACTS, acts. Remember I joked about something Dr. Sproul said a while ago. Acts, ACTS, which is a good model for prayer. And it really, I think, does reflect the Lord's Prayer and the prayer of Jabez. Uh, supplication, and your supplication needs to be not omitting the sixth petition. Beloved, regularly pray, Lord, please help me not sin against you. 
Lord, please help me. Protect me from presumptuous sins. Psalm 19, right? Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them have no dominion over me. Then shall I be upright from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. But it starts with, keep me back from presumptuous sins, especially sins that I know what I'm doing and I'm just planning on asking for your grace. Especially, don't do that, right? That's a worse sin. Okay, so ask God to help you not sin. And actually, that's the next scripture he does bring up, Psalm 19, 13. Uh, Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Pray, and make sure to pray that. And then, of course, Psalm uh, 119, 117, we sang this evening, Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe. But, of course, the other thing you want to recognize, and uh, we are going to close now, you got to ask God to do these things. Remember uh, Psalm 51 we looked at? Cleanse me, Lord. Restore me the, right, the, the joy of thy salvation. Renew a right spirit with me. You ask God to do these things in you and uh, build holiness in your heart. Lord, I don't appreciate the beauty of holiness enough. Would you just make me infatuated and absorbed and constantly distracted with the beauty of your holiness? Would you just let that be my week? Let me know what that's like, that I like it and I want it all. You know, Pray these things. Pray, hold me up, Lord. If you don't, I'll fail. Help me, Holy Spirit. Bear your fruit in me. Right? Um, and, and what does Jesus also tell us to say? And there's a sermon on this not too long ago. Ask the Father for more of what? The Holy Spirit. He wants to. He's happy to grant that request. Again, what is one of the things of God's will for us? Sanctification. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that bears the holy fruit in you. He's the one that applies redemption accomplished in Christ. He's the one, the spirit of Christ that works in you, cleanses you. He's the river of life in Revelation 22, verse 1. Okay, we're going to close there. Um, the next section is a lengthy section. Well, maybe not too lengthy. We're, we're almost done with this, by the way. Maybe in a couple more weeks. So, um, Especially you want to be careful asking God to help you not sin because you're a Christian. Because of the witness of that or the bad witness of that. And we're going to look at how the sins of Christians and certain kinds of sins are a greater sin, more aggravated, a more horrible sin, especially like Christian leaders. You know, And uh, there's stuff in our larger catechism that draws that out. We're going to look at that. Some sins are more heinous than others. And one of the aspects says, who's doing it? And we pray, Lord, help me not to sin because I'm a Christian. I'm to reflect Christ to the world. I'm to be the light. Help me not muddy looking through the light. I'm to be the salt. Help me not lose its saltiness, right? And uh, that's what we're going to start next. I don't know if we'll finish it next time. But once we get through that, we're pretty close to the end. But it will, it will be more specifically focusing on Satan. Uh, protect me from the evil of my heart, the evil of the world, kind of where we started with this, with the temptation, where does sin come from in the first place, with temptation, uh, but, and also protect me from the evil one, who obviously we've been looking at a lot, because he wants you to sin, right? Okay, let's pray. Thanks for your patience. Have a wonderful evening. Oh, Lord in heaven, we ask that you indeed would give us more of the Holy Spirit. Cause us to make use of these means, these gracious means, to keep from giving in to temptation and choosing to sin, whether it be in thought, word, or deed, whether it be in doing something against your law or omitting what your law commands. Lord, let us do it for our own good. In Deuteronomy this week, the end of the first commandment, Moses' exposition and application of it in Deuteronomy, he will be emphasizing, so that you get the blessing so that it goes well for you. Let us remember, Satan lies. Sin is always bad for us. And it is disgusting and filthy in the aftertaste. But holiness is beautiful and always tastes pristine and clean and wonderful. Lord, we pray, give us more of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you work more of your fruit in us. Bless us, O Lord, to grow more in the image of the Holy One, Jesus Christ, who has made us holy. You call on us to be holy as you are holy. And, O Lord, we pray that you help us not to sin. And we close praying as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before you are dismissed, it occurred to me in praying that, did you notice after the request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? It's almost like, it, for thine is the power and the glory. Thine is the power, the kingdom, the power and the glory. It, it's kind of like, and, and the beauty of your holiness opens up to me from heaven. Amen. Have a great week. You are dismissed.